Would you stand with me out of respect for the reading of a very familiar passage from God's word this morning? Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So what would be the point of buying a 1965 Mustang and never taking it out of the garage? Or buying kale and putting it in your fridge but eating every meal at McDonald's? Or what would be the point of buying season tickets to the Broncos but never going to a game? Or buying exercise equipment and never using it? Getting a dog but leaving them tied up all the time outside? What would be the point of those things? And what would be the point of coming to faith in Christ, being adopted into the family of God, but continuing to live your life with an orphan spirit? We're in this series called Orphans to Heirs, and we're talking about how we can be adopted into the family of God through what Christ has done on our behalf. We can be adopted into the family of God, but still live like orphans with an orphan spirit. And each week we're looking at kind of a different angle on this. Today we're looking at anxiety to assurance, moving from an orphan spirit of anxiety to an air spirit of assurance. When you stop and think about it, the experience of an orphan is an experience of anxiety. Where am I going to sleep tonight? What is my next meal going to be? Is anyone going to take care of me or do I just have to take care of myself? The spirit of an orphan is, I need to look out for number one. I need to look out for myself because there is no one else there with me or for me. The experience of an heir on the other side is one of assurance. It's like what the psalmist said in the passage we just read. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. We're just saying that you're my breath, you're my life, you're my Everything in you is all I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. This psalm, the this, this spirit of the psalm, the sentiment, the, the uh, expression of the psalm is one of a deeply personal assurance. God's presence is most certainly with us corporately as we gather, but also personally. And the psalmist here is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. It's very personal. In an older book by Bill Hybels called um, Too Busy Not to Pray, 
he observes that when you are in an airport, sometimes you can tell who has a confirmed ticket and who is flying standby just by the way people are behaving. If you're paying attention at an airport, people with confirmed tickets, they are doing things like talking to their friends or eating a meal. They might even be sleeping on the chair if they have a confirmed ticket. Someone who's flying standby is pacing and fidgeting. They're up at the you know, counter, checking in, checking in, checking in. In fact, he says they're pacing and smoking. That's how you know how old the book is. <laughs> pacing and smoking, smoking and pacing. But uh, you know who has a confirmed ticket and who is flying standby by the way that they're living. The difference is this confidence factor. Now, spiritually speaking, our confidence, our assurance, begins when we come to faith in Christ. So you could ask yourself, if I were to just meet God in 15 minutes, for the next 15, if I knew I was meeting God in 15 minutes, for the next 15 minutes, how would you be behaving? Would you be pacing and smoking, fidgeting? Would you be nervous about that encounter? Like, I don't really know what he's going to say to me. Like, he might say, well done, come on in. Or he might say, depart from me, I never knew you. Like, you know, would you be afraid about that? Or would you have a quiet assurance about that moment? Assurance begins when we come to, spiritually speaking, it begins when we come to faith in Christ. And sometimes people just go, how, how do we cross the line of faith or come to faith in Christ? And on one level, that's such a mystery, right? You just ask someone who's a follower of Jesus, tell me your story. And if you really listen, you sense the miracle and the mystery of God wooing and calling. On the other hand, coming to faith in Christ, so simple, right? Like when I talk to kids, I'll say, it is as simple as ABC, admit that I need God, I need forgiveness, believe, B, that Jesus died and rose again to make a way for me to come into the family of God. C, choose to follow him. Admit, believe, choose. I'll explain it to kids that way. You know, just that, that picture of I have given up on my own effort to prove my worthiness to God. So admitting my need is that starting point of faith, and it's a place we come back to over and over again, right? I am not relying on my merit. I am throwing myself totally and completely on the mercy and love and grace of God. I am not trying to say, God, accept me based on my respectability or my morality or my good effort. I am done with the merit-based, proving my self-worthy plan. And I'm throwing myself totally and completely on the mercy and grace and love of God through Jesus. So that's the admitting, believing that Jesus has made that way, choosing to follow him. So assurance begins there, right? Begins when we come to faith in Christ. But though we have that assurance when we come to faith in Christ, we also have to take hold of it. The psalmist says it like this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. We don't have assurance 
because of who we are and what we do. We have assurance because of who God is and what he has done. So our assurance is rooted and based in God's goodness and grace, not our perfection, not our performance. Watchman Nee told this story one time. He said that a new follower of Christ came to him and said, I am really struggling because I, as much as I pray, as much as I read the scriptures, as much as I try, I just keep failing to follow God. And this new follower of Christ said to Watchman Nee, I think I'm losing my salvation. And Watchman Nee said to this young man, see my dog sitting right here in my house? My dog is perfectly obedient. My dog never makes a mess, always eats when he's told, walks right next to my side. My dog is pure delight and joy to me. Now my son, my baby son, is in the other room. And my baby son makes a mess all the time. Throws his food on the ground. You know, gets it all over his clothes. Has a dirty di diaper five times a day. But who will inherit my estate? Not my dog, but my son. And Watchman Nee said that you are Christ's heir because it is for you that he died. We are Christ's heirs not through our perfect perfection and performance, but because of his grace, because of his love, because of his mercy. So we have this assurance when we come to faith in Christ, we take hold of it, and then we grow into it over time. So the psalmist says, he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. You could think about it this way. When there is a royal family who has a baby, that little baby is absolutely no different than any other baby in the world. The baby is fussing. The baby is learning to sleep and eat. The baby cries. The baby born to a royal family is no different than any other baby in the world. But over time, the baby living in that family is going to, you could say, like, be exposed to kingly ways. They're going to be mentored and s around people of royalty. And over time, that child will grow into the heir that they were at that moment when they were born. And the same is true for us in Christ, that we grow into, we grow into our assurance. We are children of the king, but that assurance and the realization that we are co-heirs with Christ, it's like a spiral throughout life that goes deeper and deeper into us. And that takes time. It takes patience. It takes good role models. It takes effort. It takes reflection. It takes spiritual practices. We become what we are, heirs of the king. So let's just talk for a minute about the experience of an heir. The psalmist says this, even though I walk through the darkest valley. I will fear no evil, 
for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, some of you are walking through the darkest valley right now. And here's the thing about hard times. Hard times really can be holy times. Brutal experiences that we would never choose or want or wish for can be made beautiful when we walk through them with him. So the psalmist can say, even though I walk through the darkest valley, you are with me. When there's something to be learned in a hard time, it just, it just can't be learned anywhere else. It just can't be experienced anywhere else. So if you are in a hard season, know that this can be a holy season when we walk through it with him. Jill Briscoe said, I believe God, through his spirit, grants us love, joy, and peace no matter what is happening in our lives. As Christians, we shouldn't expect our joy to always feel like happiness, but instead, recognize joy as inner security, a safeness in our life with Christ. The experience of an heir is a confidence that God is present with me, that there is a protection and care, and I know that he will care for me. I read a story this week about how the early American Indians had a unique practice of training young braves. So little boys, when they would turn 13, they had this practice where they would take the boy on the eve of his 13th birthday out into the forest, blindfolded, several miles away. He'd take off the blindfold and he'd be all alone for the night. Now up until that point, he had learned to fish, he had learned to hunt, he had learned to do all these things, but always with his family, always with his tribe. So this, on the eve of his 13th birthday, was the tradition kind of becoming a brave. And so the boy would take off the blindfold, be all alone for the night in the middle of the forest. You can just imagine every twig that falls from a tree, the imagination is saying, that's an animal about to pounce on me. Every wind that is blowing some leaves, that's something coming to get me. So the fear, there would just be terror for these young boys. And the tradition was that the boy would go through the night and wake up in the early morning where the dawn is just coming, the sun is just rising in the middle of the forest. And they would begin to see there's flowers, there's trees, there's the path. And then they would see only in the morning that there was a figure standing nearby and that their father had been there all along through the whole night. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, you are with me there. When the scriptures talk about safety, I've always had this kind of 
love-hate relationship with that, bumping into that in scripture, the word safety. Because on one hand, I go, Jesus' life was not safe. God's not calling us into a life of safety, as we often think of it. But safety and well-being, when the scriptures talk about safety, your safety and your well-being, it is not distance from trouble. It is nearness to God. Safety, when the Bible talks about it, well-being, when the Bible talks about it, is not distance from troubles. Hey, the psalmist says, I'm walking through the darkest valley. It isn't that there are no dark valleys. It is that when I'm in that dark valley, you are near, you are with me in it. There's a man, Fred Craddock, who was a famous professor of preaching back in the day. And he told a story one time of uh, he and his wife going back to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, on a family vacation. It's where he was from. And he tells this story. It's recorded in a book called Power for Living. Um, And I just want to read this story to you as we close this morning. Because this story to me illustrates just how pivotal and how important our understanding of our adoption into God's family is just how important this can be. So this is his story. Uh, So he and his wife go out to eat, and they just want to be alone. They're on vacation in Tennessee. One night, they found a quiet little restaurant where they looked forward to a private meal, just the two of them, he and his wife. While they were waiting for their meal, they noticed a distinguished-looking white-haired man moving from table to table visiting guests. And Craddock, Fred Craddock, whispered to his wife, I hope he doesn't come over here. He didn't want the man to intrude on their privacy, but the man did come to their table. Where are you folks from, he asked amicably. Oklahoma. Splendid state, I hear, although I've never been there. What do you do for a living? I teach homiletics at the Graduate Seminary of Phillips University. Oh, so you teach preachers, do you? Well, I got a story I want to tell you. And with that, he pulled up a chair and sat down at the table with Craddock and his wife. Dr. Craddock said he groaned inwardly. Oh, no, here comes another preacher story. It seems everybody's got one. The man stuck out his hand and said, I'm Ben Hooper. I was born not far from here across the mountains. My mother wasn't married when I was born, so I had a hard time. When I started school, my classmates had a name for me, and it wasn't a very nice name. I used to go off by myself at recess and during lunchtime because the taunts of my classmates cut so deeply. What was worse was going downtown on Saturday afternoon, feeling every eye burning a hole through you. They were all wondering just who my real father was. When I was about 12 years old, a new preacher came to our church. I would always go in late and skip out early, but one day, the preacher said the benediction so fast, I got caught and had to walk out with the crowd. I could feel every eye in the church on me. Just about the time I got to the door, I felt a big hand on my shoulder, and I looked up, and the preacher was looking right at me. Who are you, son? Whose boy are you? I felt the old weight come on me. It was like a big black cloud. Even the preacher was putting me down. But as he looked down at me, studying my face, he began to smile, a big smile of recognition. Wait a minute, he said. 
I know who you are. I see the family resemblance. You are a son of God. With that, he put his arm around me and said, boy, you've got a great inheritance. Go and claim it. He says in the story, the old man looked across the table at Fred Craddock and said, that was the most, the single most important sentence anyone has ever said to me. So the professor and his wife were stunned. They called the waitress over and said, do you know that guy who just came and told us that story? And the waitress grinned and said, of course, everybody in this town knows him. That's Ben Hooper. He's the former governor of Tennessee. But I love that picture that that was the most important sentence ever said to me, that you are a child, you are a son of God, you've got a great inheritance, go and claim it. And for this former governor of Tennessee, Ben Hooper, that changed his life. It's a pivotal moment for him. Charlie introduced me to a kid's book this week called Found. And this book is basically a children's version of Psalm 23 that I want to share with you as we close and prepare to come to the table of communion. So I invite you, as I read this to you, and you'll see the pictures on the screens, I invite you to receive this psalm and this book and these words like a trusting, assured child of the most high God found. God is my shepherd and I am his little lamb. He feeds me. He guides me. He looks after me. I have everything I need. Inside, my heart is very quiet, as quiet as lying still in soft green grass in a meadow by a little stream. Even when I walk through the dark, scary, lonely places, I won't be afraid because my shepherd knows where I am. He is here with me. He keeps me safe. He rescues me. He makes me strong and brave. He is getting wonderful things ready for me, especially for me. Everything I ever dreamed of. He fills my heart so full of happiness I can't hold it all inside. Wherever I go, I know God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love will go to. Let's pray together as we close. God, we thank you that you are not just with us, in an abstract way, you are not just with us corporately as we gather together in worship, but you are with us personally.
personally, always. Thank you that we can say, like the psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. God, I pray that assurance might spiral deeper and deeper into our minds and our hearts as we walk with you, especially as we walk with you through the darkest valleys. We pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.